Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie. Patriots Against CPS Corruption invites you to attend our March for Texas Children. DFPS has failed the families of Texas. The Texas Special Committee on DFPS has also failed to hear the parents and their children. Time to make our voices heard and surround yourself with those on the same mission as you. Join us on the March for Our Children, September 21st, 2022, Starting at 1 p.m. at 701 West 51st Street, Austin, Texas, 78751. I have a brand new guest. I'm proud to say I have Judge Anthony Bompiani on. He is founder at Judge Anthony Consulting, co-founder at Court Clerk. Anthony Bompiani graduated from St. Vincent College in Latrobe, Pennsylvania earning a Bachelor's of Science degree in the field of psychology. He earned his Juris Doctor from the Duquesne University School of Law and is licensed to practice law in the state of Pennsylvania. Mr. Bompiani was elected Magisterial District Judge in District 10, 2, and 1 and began his term in January of 2016. He has previously been named to the National Trial Lawyers Top 100 Criminal Trial Attorneys and the National Trial Lawyers Top 40 Under 40 three years in a row, as well as being featured in Forbes Magazine and Men's Journal. I totally welcome you to Slam the Gavel. Judge Anthony, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Okay. <laughs> I'm so Thanks glad to have you. Such a great job with my bio. It actually sounds like that I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I think you do because I am so thrilled to have you on because your videos on Instagram are beyond helpful. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I wanted to show you too, Marianne. I brought some something for you because it's called Slam the Gavel. I brought a gavel here and I was going to slam it for you. So. All right. <laughs> Where do you buy those? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. This one, I have like three of them and uh, they were all three gifts. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is that made of oak? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It looks like it is. Yeah, yeah. It, was just, it was nice. I, I can't remember uh, who got me this one, um, but it's like, a, it's just, a, you know, it was a thing when I got elected. So I figured I'd okay. bring it here since it's called Slam the Gavel. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Your advice really, really helps. Um, you know, there was the one you did on the risk of choosing to discipline a child before a custody mm, yeah. hearing. Oh, man, I'm telling you, walking on eggshells yep. for weeks prior. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a brutal, uh, a brutal situation to be in because, you know, anytime you have something going on in your life that impacts your ability to 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 act in accordance with your values and your, you know, p character and your positions on parenting, it, it's a it's a tough situation. And that's exactly what a, a custody case uh, can do, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. it, there seems to be a lot of hearsay at these custody hearings or trials, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call them. Yep. You know, what have you noticed that, you know, why, why is this happening in people or uh, other attorneys feel they can just come out with something? Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's one of my, it's funny you brought that up because I almost did a video on that today. That's one of my biggest pet peeves of the family court system and it's something that you don't really get in other areas of the law. 
And what that is, is like, kind of like you said, that attorneys go into, you, usually it happens right out of the gate in motions court or conciliation or mediation or whatever the procedure is in your jurisdiction. And the attorneys come in right out of the gate, just spewing a bunch of nonsense that was told to them uh, by their clients. And Unfortunately, a lot of the times, at least a lot of the situations I have been in, I've noticed that judges allow it to happen, right? And mm -hmm. they they do they they're they're relaxed like that with good intentions, in my opinion. And that is because they always try to revert back to this best interest of the child thing, but they do it in a way that's against the laws and the rules of evidence. So mm -hmm. it always frustrated the hell out of me because one of the other areas that I practiced in when I was doing a lot of family law work was criminal court. Mm -hmm. And in criminal court, I don't know if you know anything about criminal court, but criminal court is very, very law and rule based, right? You have to follow the rules. You have to follow the rules of evidence. You can't like just you can't just speak out of turn at motions and you can't just, you know, bring up a bunch of stuff that's that, 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 uh, you know, would not be admissible from, based on the rules of evidence. And in my opinion, you get a lot cleaner results in those mm -hmm. other areas like criminal court, but in family court, for some reason, like people let, let people say whatever they want. And what happens is, is then it angers the other side it, it muddies the waters. It makes people blow up and, and want to like spend more on legal fees to fight mm -hmm. it. Or they then start spewing nonsense, you know, and it, and it just turns into this massive, massive fight instead of being in a situation where we follow the rules. We, you know, you, you follow the rules of admissibility um, and, they, and they don't do that. And, and, and it frustrates the hell out of me. That's for sure. You know, do you think... Uh, the abolishment of family court would help and take it back down to civil court where it was in the first place? You know, I don't know. I don't know if that massive step is needed just because, you know, I think it is important to have, I don't know if it's, I would say important, but I think it's necessary to have a separate court because I do think that it's good to have judges who focus solely on those particular issues. But the problem is, is I think they need that it needs to be handled more like the other courts, mm -hmm. right? Because in civil courts, the same way, you have a lot of rules, you have a lot of laws, and those rules and laws are always followed, right? Mm -hmm. In family court, it doesn't happen as much. So I don't think it's necessarily a, a, a situation where you need to, you know, abolish or eliminate uh, the family courts. I just think you need to start following the rules. And I think maybe, you know, there needs to be some education going on with regard to other areas, not just the law for the judges and the attorneys, like, you know, psychology, like what these people actually go through, like domestic violence, like narcissism, a lot of the stuff that's not focused on. Um, so I think doing something like that would be more beneficial than, than abolishing it as a whole. Okay. Well, when I talk to parents, they're telling me that, well, even in my case, the judge and the opposing attorney were BFFs because they worked in the DA's department for years. So of course I lost, <laughs> but yeah. you, and, and then when you go to ask the judge to recuse based on this, they just refuse to recuse. Of course you could take that to an appeal, but that would be another six months. You won't be seeing your kid. Um, 
Yep. You, how do you, how do you stop the collusion? Yeah. Well, you you stop the you you, you stop that collusion. You, you have to stop the collusion by there's a, there's a bunch of things involved. You have to build a strong enough case and get those elements of your case on the record so that then that kind of stuff can be more exposed. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the times this, when this kind of stuff happens, it's happening and the parents don't even get a chance to like go into court. And if they do go into court, nothing's on the record. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in order, like one of the ways that a judge is held accountable is when there's a record, mm -hmm. right? If there's a record, you know, I know when I was on the bench, when, when that tapes running, like that, that can be used by anybody. Mm -hmm. So that needs to be, a, a, um, I think more prevalent in family court, even in motions court, because a lot of areas don't even turn on, don't even have a court reporter there when they're in there for motions court. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think if you, you know, had a good case and a good attorney and were were able to show that and make sure that it was on the record to hold the judge accountable i think that's a way to eliminate it are you ever going to eliminate it completely no you're not because there's bad mm -hmm. eggs everywhere right mm -hmm. but i think that's a step to at least start to minimize it and start holding these people accountable yeah that's the big thing is these judges aren't holding um we'll say the offending parent accountable when they don't comply with a visitation order. Yeah. And then the target parent is you know, running to the state police and letting them know that, Hey, I, this was my custody time or my visitation time. Yeah. And then they'll call the DA on call who will just say, we can't get involved because you know, this is a custody hearing. So the police don't do anything. Yeah. Do you think they should? I mean, maybe they. <sighs> that's a tough, that's a tough thing to, you know, to label, um, you know, completely across all of the cases. And it's the reason why is because there are a lot of people that take advantage of that too. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, there are a lot of people that make false allegations and then want the police to get involved in a situation where there's a false allegations. I I've seen, I've seen good parents actually lose custody or at least time with the child based on false allegations and situations where that happens when law enforcement will get involved. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, it's, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily that we need to force law enforcement to always get involved in cases or eliminate them from ever getting involved in cases. But I think that they need to understand that when they do, that they're also going to be brought into the case as a witness mm -hmm. and, you know, have consequences based on what they did. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the same. It's the same as criminal court, right? You have, when you have good police work in criminal court, it can be the best thing that there is, right? Because mm -hmm. you can win a case on good police work that, that might have other holes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Likewise, if you have crappy police work yeah. and, and then it's the same thing, it's the same kind of thing. Right. Um, but in family court, a lot of the times again, and it's because 
a lot of the times the 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 rules aren't followed the records aren't established and you know sometimes people don't can't even be in a position where they have witnesses called so it's like all of those issues just evaporate mm -hmm. and there's never going to be any leverage um on e on either party to get to a result that is actually like a well-intentioned result does, does that make sense yes yes yeah. yeah it's a complicated it's a complicated issue for sure well you know i was advised when we were going through this to have our pew packed with people <laughs> and i don't know and it's well it's hard to do when you have friends that work full-time and sure all you have is your parents. So you're, you're going in Well, the other side has their side packed. Yeah. I mean, does that affect a judge's ruling? I don't think, I mean, I don't think generally speaking that it does. I know in, in any case that I have tried through, through my 20 plus years of uh, experience in family court, mm -hmm. I, I would win cases when I had the credible witnesses on the stand. Right. Mm -hmm. The people like I, you, I might be up against a courtroom full of supporters, but if I had the three or four witnesses on the stand that were credible and again, on the record, mm -hmm. the, the, the judge has to be held accountable. I think that's a better way to look at it as far as packing. And now too, post COVID, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times that's not, that's not allowed. A lot of times, you know, not so much now since we're, you know, almost a year, you know, well, what more than two years removed from that, but still, it's still limited a little bit more. Uh, mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's more important to have good witnesses in, 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 in a case. Now, granted, again, if you're in a, t a family court motions court or, you know, conciliation or something where you're not even allowed to present witnesses, then whatever support you need, as far as family members, that's fine, but I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how persuasive it is to have them there just sitting and not offering any uh, relevant and persuasive evidence. Mm -hmm. Now, with COVID, everyone was using Zoom. And do you think that helped people's cases? People were taping their cases. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a couple different things that that were that were different about that. First off, the, the flexibility, obviously, with people not having to go to court. Uh, I think that was a good thing. Um, I think for people who get incredibly nervous, that it was a good thing. Because one of the things that I always teach with my students and my clients is that when you're nervous and when you're not confident and when you're stressed and nervous and anxious and everything else, it can actually, it can actually impact your ability to show your true character in court, right? Your, your nervous, your nervous mm -hmm. laugh or nervous, you know, hand gestures or, you know, whatever it may be, may be perceived by the judge as a lack of credibility or a lack of character. When in reality, it's being, it's being, it's you being nervous or anxious or stressed or worried. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think the Zoom situation minimized that a little bit. However, when you're dealing with a client, when you're dealing with a witness, whether it be a parent in the case or whoever, one of the things that is uh, an important task for the judge is to assess credibility of that witness. And that's a lot easier to do in person. 
than mm-hmm. it is in, in, on Zoom, right? So for for people who had had witnesses on the other side, you know, who were lying or whatever, their credibility would be much more accurately assessed in person as opposed to on Zoom. It's why, you know, it's why pre-COVID, if you were going to have a witness attend via phone or Zoom or, or whatever, you had to get that approved ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's because it's always more beneficial theoretically to have the witness there so that the judge can assess the credibility. No, that's true. That's, you know, because I'm hearing from, you know, parents saying that uh, they're allowed a Zoom call with their child for only three minutes. Mm. <laughs> and uh, then they're saying that they, the child will not really be themselves because they know that parent is in the room behind the camera and making yep. sure. I, I mean, this is terrible. Yep. It is. It is. And the problem is, is a lot of that stuff, if with the wrong perspective on how things work or are working in your life and your child's life with the wrong perspective, all of those actions can be justified by the person. Mm-hmm. So the person that's there waiting, you know, behind the, you know, off screen while the, while the child's having a zoom with the other parent, that can be justified under certain circumstances, mm-hmm. right? Rightfully mm-hmm. or wrongfully. Just likewise that the parent who's on the zoom wanting to talk to the child in private, their reasons and desires can be justified right rightfully mm-hmm. and wrongfully that's why it's so difficult to get to the nuts and bolts of what's really going on you know for judges for evaluators for for everybody and it's because a lot of that stuff um can be justified me personally i think in any situation that it's better to have the child talking one on one with the parent mm-hmm. right right um I know there are concerns parents have with, you know, abusive, narcissistic people, but if the court allows it, the Zoom call to happen, I'm assuming that you have already brought up those issues and the court was already privy to those issues. And if that's the case, then you should, you should, you got to let the, let the parent have private calls with the, with the child. Mm-hmm. right well i guess in in, in theory that i mean that would be fabulous <laughs> but yeah. sometimes and i'll tell you a funny story but i was having a conversation with my child who was 14 this is a long time ago um he's 20 now um but <laughs> <laughs> the father would listen in on the phone call and then i heard the father sneeze so oh, I said, geez. God bless you. Who, who that, you did or the, the child? I did. did. I did. Oh, <laughs> I, I could hear him breathe through the, you know, mouthpiece. So, yeah. Yeah. What do you do? I mean, okay. So this kind of ties in with uh, course of control. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how to make that stop. I don't know how to advise parents to get that to somehow stop. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, the appropriate way to do it 
Um, and saying bless you certainly isn't inappropriate, but the appropriate way to do it is to, to not deal with it during the call in front of the child. Again, saying bless you is, is nothing. <laughs> That's completely acceptable. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying like handling it, like telling them it needs to stop or telling mm -hmm. them to leave or anything like that should not happen in front of the child. Right. 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 If it's an issue, you deal with it like any other issue. And that would be once the call is over and once you're outside of the ear of the child, you try to handle it through your ex, right? Mm -hmm. Conversation, preferably in, in text or writing or however you guys communicate. If you can't handle it through them or you just know that it's impossible to handle it through them because of your history with that person, then you try to handle it through their, your attorneys. Mm -hmm. And if you can't handle it through your attorneys and it's that big of an issue, then you, you ask the court for for a ruling on it and ask the court mm -hmm. for help. And those are really your options in dealing with it, you know, cause otherwise you're going to be just arguing and fighting and making demands that aren't, um, that won't stick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just a very sticky situation. And you know, this also, you had a video where if a parent destroys a relationship with a child with, with the other parent it will bite them in the ass yeah that was excellent yeah yeah it's true it's true you know i always say that our 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 uh our children are adults way longer in their lives and our lives than they are children right mm -hmm. and what does that mean that means that all of this shit that's going on right now and stuff that's going on in your case like they're gonna see what's really happening or what happened at some mm -hmm. point. So what people perceive to be as strategic and sneaky and like they're getting a leg up in the case, they better watch out because like you said, it, it'll, it's going to come back to bite you in the ass when the child's older and when mm -hmm. the child realizes what's really happening. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and also parents are telling me, you know, everyone says, Oh, don't worry. They'll come back when they're 18. There's no guarantees that they will come back. Yep. You know, um, some of these cases, you know, and they call them like high conflict cases, but in reality, it's you're dealing with a high conflict personality disorder. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And also to tie in with that is their attorney is also <laughs> a personality disorder. So, you know, when, there is a three ring circus going on. How should a judge be handling that? How can he slap them down? Um, who the, the attorneys or the, yeah. The, yeah. Well, with the attorneys, it kind of gets back to what we were talking about when we first started this conversation and that's forcing them to follow the rules, right? That, that doesn't happen very often. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. Uh, and it was after I started doing a lot of criminal court work, and again, it was, which is very strict with the rules. And then I had a, uh, the same, the same day that I was in, uh, pretrial conferences for criminal court. I had a, um, I can't remember. I think it was a pretrial conference. It was some sort of proceeding, like not a trial, but some sort of proceeding in front of the family court judge, same, same courthouse, same County, same jurisdiction, the whole thing. And, uh, one floor up. And I went upstairs to uh, 
to go into this other proceeding, which I think it was a pretrial conference and the other attorney and party didn't show up. Okay. Hmm. Now, mind you, I just left criminal court. And if that happened, the, there would be an arrest warrant, you know, mm -hmm. shit would hit the fan. You'd risk yeah. your client going to jail, like mm -hmm. the whole thing. And the judge's clerk came out and said, Oh, I'm sorry. Attorney so-and-so uh, didn't have it on their calendar. They can't make it. And I was just like, what the F like, mm -hmm. what? Like, that's not how this works. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how it worked. That's how it went. So situations like that and situations when you're in court and you have an, an asshole attorney, <laughs> you got to follow the rules. Mm -hmm. Like the rules are there for a reason. And again, a lot of times judges think that they don't follow the rules because they are looking in the best interest of the child. When in actuality, following the rules would be the best interest of the child. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it holds everybody accountable. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's the thing. I think it's just as far as whole, keeping attorneys in line for in family court for judges, I think it's following the rules, mm -hmm. the rules of evidence, the rules of procedure, the, the local rules of the county. And I think it's that simple. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes I wish they would follow the rules, but some of them, you know, like I said, with the collusion or their personality disorder makes them so arrogant, nothing can touch them. They're like yeah. Teflon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that might be the case, but regardless of what their character is, if they are doing all of that within the rules of evidence and procedure and the law, then, it, you know, it is what it is. You mm -hmm. kind of have to let that happen. But if they're not doing it within the rules and the law and, and procedural rules, then somebody needs to crack the whip. Mm hmm you know, and that's kind of hard to do if someone is a pro se litigant. Sure. Yeah, sure. But, it, but the judge, the judges need to be more aware of that uh, in the, especially in the courtroom mm -hmm. when that's going on. And you, there was also another video you did on parental alienation where you said, sorry, not sorry. And I really like that one. Yeah. I can't remember what the gist of it was. Um, uh, that it does exist. Yeah. And and it was beautifully said. Um, I've shared it. But a lot of people are still saying, <clears throat> sorry, this is junk science. It doesn't exist. But yeah. it does. It really does until you experience it. Yeah. Here's the thing. The, the person, and I can't remember the guy's name, but the person that created the term and it's not even the term parental alienation it gets confused with with the actual term that this person created and that's parental alienation syndrome mm -hmm. right and it was determined by uh the the experts in the dsm4 that parental alienation wasn't parental alienation syndrome was not a valid mental disorder right this is this is my understanding of it mm -hmm. And what happened was certain groups and people, probably people who were being accused of parental alienation, turned that into that parental alienation is junk science and it's not real. Okay. Mm -hmm. You see what the difference is. So my, my whole thing is parental alienation, call it whatever you want, but a parent who is 
intermingling and trying to destroy the relationship between the child and the other parent for no valid reason, it's wrong. You know, I don't care what people want to call it, how they want to control me to call it a certain thing, but it's wrong. And the only way that number one, we'll, we will be able to stop people from doing that. But number two, defend good people who are wrongfully being accused of it. The mm -hmm. only way to do those two things is to talk about it. Mm -hmm. We're not going to eliminate those two travesties by acting like it doesn't exist, mm -hmm. right? It's like any crime that happens, you know, call them what you want, but any crime, whether it be, you know, uh, drug dealing or, or robbery, um, whatever, assault, we're not going to, we're not going to help people who have been victims of that by, or people who have been wrongfully accused of it by acting like they don't exist. Mm -hmm. They exist. So let's learn the elements of them and the rules and the laws, and then let's teach people how to, to, how to deal with it. And it's the same thing with parental alienation. Like if, if you're, if you're interming, intermingling and trying to destroy a relationship between the other parent and your child for no reason, no valid reason, that's not right. And, and, mm -hmm. and that needs, that needs to stop. Right. I didn't know what that term was until it was used on me. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. What, the attorney just blurted out among yeah. other things, you know, the silver bullet of, you know, you're mentally ill, <laughs> you know, on yeah. top of adding CPS false accusations, what people do to each other. And I right. don't understand why it has to be so brutal. I, right. uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like being accused of being mentally ill. You're not going to say, you know, that's not real. You're just mm -hmm. going to show them why you're not mentally ill, right? Right. The same right. with parental alienation. Just show them why you're, how you're not alienating. You mm -hmm. know, that's my theory. Mm -hmm. You know, it's. I'm sure it was difficult being a judge and seeing things that were just. Um, you could probably see people trying to do underhand things to each other all the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And, and like, did you ever have to? seriously put your foot down with some of these lawyers or so not so much any issues uh with with lawyers maybe one or two in the course of five years uh but with with part with people yeah with individuals non-lawyers for sure mm -hmm. what were they doing just yelling things out or just over talking or yelling things out or disrespecting or like one thing you know one thing my theory was always in my courtroom, like I was very understanding and very welcoming to, to what people had to say and hearing people out and giving people their time in court. But I was also like, people needed to know that that was my courtroom. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to be very flexible. I'm going to like give people a lot of rope to, to say what they feel like they need to say but also like, it's my courtroom, you mm -hmm. know? And that was always my theory just because not because it was like some power trip or anything. Mm -hmm. It was because that's how you maintain order, right? Mm -hmm. There can't be a ton of cooks in the kitchen, right? Just the one. Right. 
And people had to know that I was the one that was in charge. And I think a lot of, you know, not a lot, because a lot of judges do that already, but some judges don't do that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the issues that we talked about today could be handled if they do, right? Mm-hmm. If they do eliminate a lot of the nonsense that's going on. Everyone's saying that these judges should be educated in um, narcissism and parental alienation. And some people are saying they don't need to be educated. They already know this stuff. They're just letting it happen. Yeah. I I don't know what to think. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. When you're a judge, you have, you have to, you know, just like attorneys have to go through and do, they call it, uh, um, continuing education, right? Mm -hmm. Continuing legal education for judges. It's continuing ed or judge school or whatever you want to call it. Um, and when they do that, they are usually like a lot of it is like basic refreshers, but then there's other stuff that you learn that are like current issues and they're Mm -hmm. not, they're not all based on the law. Like for example, one of the last, one of the last, um, judge schools that I went to, one of the speakers that was there um, talked about like uh, transgendered people and things like that. Right. Which again, Mm -hmm. it's important for judges to like, cause not every judge, like you figure even in one state, like there's so many different areas in one state, like there's rural and and urban and, and big cities and smaller towns and so so you can't assume that everybody understands like the way the world like what's going on in the world right now right mm-hmm. different political backgrounds different you know ideologies and and virtues and beliefs right mm-hmm. and the thing is is a lot of that stuff you can't you can't bring to the bench right mm-hmm. you can't make decisions based on that but you do need to be educated on issues like that so that you can appreciate and understand where the person is coming from. Mm-hmm. And I never, you know, I only went, I had to do it every year. So I only went what five times. I only, you know, I never talked about narcissism or, mm-hmm. you know, reactive abuse or anything like that. So, my point is, yes, they should be educated and it would not be that difficult to work those topics in to the education that is already required of the judge. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I, I think they should be educated in it. Now, some of them are old. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and, and um, most of them. <laughs> yeah. Most- <laughs> I was trying to be nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I heard there's hope because there's these younger judges coming up that no maybe uh have grasped parental alienation, have grasped course of control and things like that and domestic violence. Yeah. And maybe will rule more effectively than this old judge, I'm sorry to say. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a good point. And I think that's correct. Um, and I think, you know, in any area of the government, I think there needs to be turnover, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that if you give someone power for too long, 
then they start doing things to protect their job as opposed to protecting the people that they work for. Mm-hmm. And that happens, you know, that that can be an issue, bigger issue in, in court because a lot of the times you have these judges who are, you know, in there for life. Mm-hmm. You know, some areas of politics, you, you can only be in there for certain amounts of time or to a certain age. But in some areas of the country, you can be as old as you want and be a judge. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's ever like, I, you know, when I was on the bench, uh, the issue came up uh, for vote in our state. And I wasn't in favor of uh, allowing judges to stay longer. Uh, I can't remember the exact number. I want to say it was like 70. And I think the issue is whether or not they should have mandatory retirement in 70. And I was at 70 and I was in favor of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the judges looked at me like, oh, you know, no, that's going to like eliminate, you know, our... but no, you're not there. You're not there to collect the paycheck. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you're, that's your job. You have to feed your family and you have to live your life. But like the main thing is, is to serve the people that you're serving. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, nobody's going to tell me that like, a judge who has been on the bench for 40 years is going to be more effective than someone, some young blood who, who is more in tune with the values and and, and the way things work in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Now that's not to say we should open it up for like super young people either, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think the turner I think the turnover will certainly is certainly beneficial for various reasons and especially the reasons that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Now these judges that are elected, a lot of the, you know, taxpayers don't know what's really going on in these courtrooms where there's some shady business going on, collusion whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I just think if the taxpayer only knew. Yeah. Where, and how their money is being spent in destroying children's lives, parents' lives. I I have no words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's like that in every, you know, in every area of government, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, a lot of nonsense that goes on and it's not, you know, contrary to what a lot of people believe, it's not, it's not just one party or the other party, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just the slime of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and and judges aren't immune from that you know a lot of a lot Mm -hmm. of them a lot of them would like to think that they are would like you to think that they are Mm -hmm. but they aren't and nor should they be right Mm -hmm. right well i don't want to keep you on too much longer so i'm so glad you popped onto the show and this was great i totally appreciate it yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it okay hey don't jump off Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. And please join us again in the future, hopefully, with Judge Anthony and other exciting guests. Thank you. Thank you.